Welcome to MicroCollege. Uh, this week on the podcast, we are really excited to have a couple of the, the founders, founders and, and co-executive directors of one new emergent initiative in this uh, educational space, microcolleges and uh, holistic education. Um, another uh, program inspired by Deep Springs in important ways. Um, this is the Gull Island Institute, located uh, on the, the islands near Woods Hole, Massachusetts, near Buzzards Bay. Um, joining me today are, uh, are two of the founders, Anna Isabel Kielsen and Justin Reynolds. Um, raised in, in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, Justin Reynolds has taught in the social sciences concentration at Harvard, the core curriculum at Columbia University, and at Deep Springs College. He received his PhD in modern European history from Columbia University and his master's in philosophy and political thought and intellectual history from the University of Cambridge and his AB in history from the University of Chicago. Before entering graduate school, he worked as a scuba diver and specimen collector at the Marine Biological Laboratory in Woods Hole and as a program director at think tanks in Washington, D.C. and Berlin. Anna has taught previously at the, at the Committee on Degrees in Social Science at, at Harvard, as well as at Deep Springs College, Columbia University, Barnard College, and Sciences Po in Paris. She received her PhD in history from Columbia University and her BA Phi Beta Kappa in literature from Barnard College. Prior to her academic career, she danced professionally. So thank you so much for joining us here today, Justin and Anna. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks, Jacob. We're delighted and looking forward to the conversation. Great. Thank you. Um, yeah, so before we dive into to what Gala Island is all about, um, on here on the podcast, we always ask people what you were doing, where you were, what was influencing your life when you were 18 to 21 years old, kind of the age of some of the students that we're working with. Um, so Anna, do you want to you want to start? Where were you during that time period, and uh, and what was what was shaping your life at that time? Sure, thanks, Jacob. Um, what was shaping my life at that time was the last line of my bio, uh, which is that I was dancing professionally. Um, so at that time in my life, I was at Barnard College. Um, and I went to Barnard um, thinking it was going to be the last four years in my life when I read a book, because after college, I had planned to, you know, uh, dedicate my life completely and fully uh, to the studio and the stage, which in some corner of my brain, I supposed excluded reading. Uh, not really sure why. <laughs> um, in any case, <laughs> so um, yeah, I was, I was, um, dancing and and being an English major and um uh yeah I suppose the 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 um experiences and and relationships from that period in in my life you know uh was I think began to believe that the disembodied life was probably not worth living so everything about my life was shaped toward uh kind of embodiment and uh, the connection between ideas in the mind and practice in the body um, and vice versa. Um, I was very um, devoted to the dancers and dance companies and communities that I was a part of. So I think thinking hard and, and learning a lot about what it meant to be a member of a, of a kind of community and what it meant to do collaborative work and collaborative learning. Um, and then, you know, throwing myself wholeheartedly into the study of great texts, um, 
in the Barnard College, uh, you know, vision. So kind of critical revisionist history of the Western canon, I suppose. Yeah, great, thank you. What about you, Justin? So when I was that age, I um, was an undergraduate. During the academic year, I was an undergraduate uh, in the University of Chicago, going through a personally transformative uh, experience of Chicago's core curriculum and liberal arts um, course of study. Um, and uh, during the summers, as uh, I guess was in my bio, I, I worked on boats. So I was working as a, a specimen collector for um, a, a marine biological laboratory, um, collecting sea animals that were used for research. That also involved a lot of scuba diving. Um, and I was also doing other kind of odd jobs, uh, mostly on, on boats. And I think that uh, I, I had, in that sense, a kind of, you know, um, a partitioned life, maybe. I was aware and committed to and kind of, you know, enthralled by the, the, the questions, the high level questions about, you know, what it means to live a good life that I was exploring at the University of Chicago. And then I also, during the summers, had this really, you know, very sort of physical um, work. Uh, and I think I was aware at the time that the two didn't really, <laughs> wasn't clear to me how they how they fit together. I think I enjoyed maybe at the time, the way in which they didn't fit together, but it also left a lot of kind of unresolved questions that, uh, you know, I've been able to return to. Yeah, you can see in, in, in both of your biographies, you know, and your, your interests, and also, you know, in the kind of descriptions of what you're doing at Gull Island, this, what you're just saying, how to integrate these different things that have been separated in our education and in our in our culture. And, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, to, to go to Gull Island, uh, you know, it's, it's striking that both of you have humanities backgrounds. <laughs> Right. And in the way that that that's that you framed the, the goal and purpose of the Gull Island Institute, um, which is framed around the idea of climate change. Right. You, you know, in, in, in reading it, I was expecting before really diving into your biography, thinking that you were you were STEM folks. Right. You're thinking about, <laughs> about climate science and about the ocean and about, you know, about that sort of thing. Um, and and yeah, so, I mean, the your the tagline that Gull Island has 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 put out there is reinventing liberal arts education for an age of climate change. Gull Island is a new immersive liberal arts program uh, with a mission to prepare new a new generation of democratic citizenship and care of the earth through place-based learning rooted in rigorous academics, physical labor, and student self-governance. So that you know, you're 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 citing the the three pillars really of of Deep Springs, which you will both have experience with. Um, but in this very, very different context there. Um, so yeah, I mean, where, where, where did this idea for, for something there in, in your, your, your hometown there, um, Justin, where did that, how did that come about? Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to take it? Well, I just occurred to yeah. me, Jacob, there's one more thing I maybe should say about sort of background about this. And I think this mm -hmm. goes to Justin's point about sort of like these sort of different places or registers where you do different things or think different thoughts in, in these different places for Justin. It's working on boats here in Woods Hole and then also living a life of the mind in Hyde Park and at Chicago. And I think, you know, a very um, formative um, experience for me as a young person, which again, I would not have been able to articulate to you as such at the time, but looking back on it now, like recognizes really setting this up was you know, a, a hugely transformative experience was riding the Chinatown bus from Manhattan, where I was in school, mm -hmm. to Maine, where I was from. 
And I spent a lot of time traveling between these two very distinct places and thinking a lot about what it meant, what it means to inhabit them, what it meant to inhabit them and inhabit them well. Um, and so I think this sort of uh, engagement with the specifics of place and why leaning into place as a site of learning um, is really significant was sort of the seed, the seed was sort of there. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's taken a little while to be able to articulate it as the basis for, you know, our institute. But I think Justin and I kind of share that in this sort of shifting between registers. Yeah. Um, so maybe just as a background and then set up, yeah. or maybe Justin, yeah. if you want to answer Jacob's question. Yeah, well, as you, as you can see, Jacob, you've hit on, I think, a rich question that has many kind of perspectives from which it can be answered. But I can fill in some more of the biographical detail, maybe to pick us up in more recent history um, for Anna and I. So uh, we, we've been taught in a number of liberal arts settings um, in recent years since getting our, our doctorate and... and um, what makes us tick as educators um, is thinking through existential problems with students and colleagues. Um, more and more in the last couple of years, we've noticed those questions and problems shift to issues in the constellation of climate and climate change. And our interest in educators for that reason has also followed that. Um, when we uh, taught as visiting professors at Deep Springs in 20, 2021, um, what we encountered there in the three-pillared pedagogy was a tool for thinking about liberal arts education in general in a way that could be responsive to wider climate issues um, by allowing students a number of different kind of perspectives and practices from which to think about what it means to inhabit a place well. Um, and that, so so it was a moment, I think, going to Deep Springs of, of seeing uh, a kind of uh, a, a key that fit the lock in a way, um, a way of approaching liberal arts learning that was responding to a lot of kind of problems, pressures, and questions that we saw becoming very live in the traditional university system, but which tr the traditional university system kind of lacked the resources and structures to, 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 to address. I would also, Jacob, just come in and say sort of like a few other things for context to just kind of add some color to Justin's answer, which is, you know, Justin and I, you know, Justin's from here, from Woods Hole, I'm from Maine. We very much identify as like coastal Northeasters or New Englanders, if you will. Um, so, you know, it was like a real experience to be out in the desert and to feel very dislocated from one's place that we knew like in our bones, in our DNA. Um, so I think that that was a sort of, um, very interesting experience to kind of reflect on, well, what is the role of, of, of place in all of this? And then the other thing to say is that we had just been teaching a year of Zoom university at Harvard because of the pandemic. So there was a lot of thinking about, well, what is the role of place in education, both for us as faculty members and for our students who are just like violently uprooted in all senses of the word um, from any sense of place that they might have had prior to, you know, having to leave campus. Um, and so then we were a lot of questions and discussions really did revolve around place and habitability. Yeah. 
but I really identify with that person on a personal level. I mean, first of all, having been a Deep Springs student, going from a place you know, here in the Midwest in the Driftless region where I feel really rooted and familiar, and then having the contrast of the desert, right? That was that was very, you know, it was powerful and you know, value. And similarly, the year I, I was also spent a year at at uh, University of Chicago in Hyde Park there, and that was kind of my my mm-hmm. urban experience. And those those kind of contrasts and you, a lot of thinking about the structure of society, a structure of of you know relationships to the environment and the economy in different places and uh you know that i think it, it's it's striking um as as we've gone through the interviews of people who are picking up these initiatives um around the country and around the world many of them are people who have um have a deep roots in a place and but then have gone off and have had a, had an academic career or some other an artistic career of some kind and and are you know, are bringing that back to to the place that they're from. And, and you know, that's like, it seems an important piece of a place-based education is to have somebody who's got some deep roots there who can kind of, kind of, kind of enliven that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the, it's, it's a, I love how you put that, Jacob. And it's a, I think it's a, it's a great development. Um, so much of kind of the traditional liberal arts or even higher education approach is rather placeless. Um, classrooms are designed to look the same anywhere. Campuses in many ways are replicas of each other. Um, but what they face therefore is the place where learning takes place. And you know, this is something we can also get into a little bit more in the conversation, but universities have this tremendous potential that they um, you know, are not utilizing insofar as the learning is not kind of rooted in the place. Yeah. And maybe they need folks who, 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 who are really, you know, able to think at a high level about the places that they're committed to. And I think for, for Justin and I, you know, our, you know, we have PhDs in history. So, you know, the, the historians in us is like ready to go and ready to lean into the specifics of these places, um, from a say more humanistic, uh, angle, but I think going back to a question that you had earlier, sort of surprise that we're not STEM folks. I mean, I think <laughs> right. that there's, you know, we should also say like, I think, and Justin can speak to this, obviously this is his, his perspective, but you grow up here, you grow up in the context of scientific institution and you mm-hmm. work as a diver. Your, your, your job is, is sort of in the name of science, right. And scientific inquiry and rigor and that shadow around here looms quite large. Yeah. Um, and I think just kind of as an aside, my PhD research was about um, a group of German dancers who understood themselves to be scientists mm-hmm. and science in the sense of a systematic mm-hmm. um, knowledge of nature and the universe. So, you know, I think that one thing that we found um, teaching, uh, you know, in the programs that we run so far at Gull and the, the kinds of faculty who are really drawn to participate in what we're doing, you know, we have, I mean, we just had a chemical oceanographer in our last program assign an Ursula Le Guin story about language. So, you know, I think that there is a lot of really exciting, and for her, that's very much in line with the kind of scientific inquiry that she does about, you know, carbon acidification. Um, so also, just, uh, uh, maybe maybe the last thought on this, because I think there's another way of of of, of approaching or understanding the climate problem, um, and you know this is this is an understanding that is sort of gaining gaining ground, um, certainly beyond the academy now, but 
there as well is that you know it's it's um, it's it's not a it's an everything problem i mean it's not a, a problem that will be kind of understood and 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 solved by by scientific knowledge as it currently exists mm -hmm. um so if we're thinking about what kind of citizens uh you know will be good citizens in an age of um climate change, um, ecosystem transformation and collapse, uh, geoengineering, um, new and at this point perhaps unimaginable projects of resiliency and social transformation and upheaval. Um, you know, those are the kind of citizens that I think it, educational institutions need to think about how they're going to develop now. Yeah. Um, and, and that's certainly a question that that is just as much about the social sciences and the humanities as it is about the natural sciences. Yeah, yeah it, it's reminding me of uh, you know, one of the themes we've been exploring here in the podcast um, has been the kind of the history, the example of the the folk high school movement in Denmark, um, the Danish folk high schools, and um, if you, you read back into the history of where that movement came from and you know how important it was in forming the kind of identity of of Denmark and the other Scandinavian countries, which famously have this great kind of cohesion and have, have a great sense of, of being able to do big social projects as a people. Um, the folk schools have an important part of that. Um, you know, the origin story has to do with a big external threat, right? It has to do with <laughs> Bismarck's Germany, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and so it strikes me that, you know, the way that you framed the, the mission of Gull Island, you know, I mean, maybe the, the, you know, the climate crisis is our Bismarck, right? It's our, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the, a, a democratic sense, a sense of, of peoplehood in, in the face of an external threat. In this case, it's, it's kind of a global, you know, environmental crisis. I mean, to, I just want to say like to Bismarck's credit though, he did pioneer, you know, like health, public health care. So maybe there's like, <laughs> you know, it's, there's some, some, some good, not all bad, but yeah. Well, from perspective of little Denmark, right. They, they have very particular things they were concerned about. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's really, I love the way that you frame that though. That's really, that's super interesting. Yeah. Cool. So, well, since, yeah, the place is so important, tell us a bit about your place. What is what is the, the region there like? What are its important kind of qualities that a student who arrives there is going to see and experience? What a great question. Why don't yeah. you take it? I mean, I can, I'll start. I, so the, um, the, the, the islands where the programs take place are on, on Buzzards Bay, Buzzards Bay Vineyard Sound area of, of, um, Massachusetts and, um, they are, it's, it's because of, um, you know, relationships that we have with some great institutions and partners on these islands that we're able to, to run the programs. Um, and they just contribute a lot to, to what, you know, we're able to offer, but they take place on, uh, Penikis Island and Cuddyhunk Island, um. So Penikis is a small island that is now a bird sanctuary owned by the state of Massachusetts. Um, and uh, the um, it has a very rich history and it's a um, it's a, a very rich history going back to an early site of um, uh, settler colonization uh, and colonial encounter um, in the 17th, early 17th century, um, with the journey of Bartholomew Gosnold to the region. Um, it 
has a more recent history that has involved uh, it being serving as a site for a school of natural history started by Louis Agassiz, mm. um, a very controversial and compromised uh, in many ways, um, natural scientific polymath of the late 19th century who wanted to have a school to teach students how to observe nature. Um, in the 20th century, it was uh, a hospital for lepers who were taken against their will um, and imprisoned uh, while also being quote unquote treated for, for leprosy um, in uh, the early decades of the 20th century. In the um, 1970s, George Cadwallader, um, a military vet and educational reformer, started the Penikis Island School, which is a school for troubled boys, boys who were in the juvenile justice system, um, where they lived for nine months of the year out on the pro out on the island, um, and there was a kind of reformatory impulse behind that. Um, and most recently, the Penikis Island School uh, has become. The boys' school no longer exists. It has become a um, uh, a um, an immersive education program oriented towards um, younger students, hmm. uh, for the most part. Um, and they run a lot of great programs for, uh, in particular, for middle-aged girls around STEM um, uh, projects. And it's through a partnership with them that we work um, uh, to offer our programs. Well, maybe, yeah, let me just come in and, and just say, you know, so to your question, like, what would students expect? Well, to, to, you know, as Justin, I think Justin's answer makes clear, you know, expect to be immersed in the history and ecology of this place. Right. We don't have a campus of our own. We don't own property. So the programs that we run are in partnership with community partners in these areas and in these islands, the Penikis Island School um, being a really important one of them. Um, we also, uh, our most recent four-week pilot that we did was on Cuddyhunk Island. So mm -hmm. students worked on a Cuddy, uh, the Cuddyhunk shellfish farms. They learned all about oyster farming, um, did municipal projects um, on the Cuddyhunk, you know, on Cuddyhunk, on the island itself. Um, there was a ton of movement between islands um, so the students uh, and faculty are on boats multiple times a day going um, to different different places. And of course, you know, anything involving boats, you're always subject to the wind and the weather. So it's a really incredible and very powerful education if you're not from here in learning how dependent we are um, on climate, um, on on conditions, on the on the environmental conditions around us. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that, like, so that, that, that experience of being on the water, moving between islands, right. That that's really like, it's a vivid kind of uh, context to, to bring someone into. And, and I think each, each of these place-based initiatives have something like that. Right. I think here in Wisconsin, it's primarily just the weather, it's the winter and the, and, yeah. the, and the, the transition between the seasons. And then, you know, we do a lot, you know, in the soil, right. Really, you know, and, and, and working with livestock and sheep and things like that. But um yeah. But yeah, that that there you know there are the elements that are that are really uh, characteristic of different places, and obviously there it's the sea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think also I mean it's the sea, but also then you know the other side of it is island life, mm -hmm. right? So there's a you know I think you know 
you can appreciate this and I'm sure there's an analog, um, you know, at Thoreau as well, but if you're on an Island and something breaks, you can't just like pop over to the, the store to get the hardware store to get what you need to fix it. Like you have to make do with what you have. If you run out of food, like you run out of food, right? Like, cause the next trip in, you know, to get provisions isn't going to be for another four days. And if there's a weather event, maybe it's five days or six days. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of really important um, planning and coordination, um, that goes on, you know, not just on the level of like staff and, and Mm -hmm. faculty, but also among the students, you know, if the cook crew burns the whatever, (laughs) then there's gotta be some negotiation about like, what's gonna, you know, what, what, um, produce is going to get used that night instead of tomorrow night. Um, so Yeah. yeah. Islands are really interesting places to learn. Um, you know, they, they kind of separate you and insulate you, um, from the West of the world, even as they connect you to it in different ways. Uh, and so on Penakees, there's really just one house and a schoolhouse and a woodshop on Cuddyhunk. There's a small town, which is very seasonal. Um, so students are encountering both of these Island places, uh, in the program as as well as the communities that that are involved in them and 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 inhabit them so t- let's talk a bit about the the programs you've run you've done you've been you know active in a couple of years now and uh, yeah tell me about the programs that that you've staged so far and what what are they how long are they how many people are they and what are students doing sure no it's a great question so yeah we i guess you could say we we formally began in um, march of 2022 that's when we ran our first one week pilot Um, And we ran that pilot with about eight students, eight or nine students and like something like 13 faculty. Um, And the joke is that, I know it's a great (laughs) ratio, uh, but just everyone that we had invited to participate had said yes, because they were really enthusiastic about it, which was obviously a huge like vote of confidence in in the concept. And then we did the pilot and we all kind of collectively realized this was something special. So um, then we decided this, this year, we were going to pilot a four-week program just to scale up and see what um, that would be like. And so we just finished this four-week pilot program um, between these two islands. Um, and that went you know, really well, and we learned a ton. And so I think moving forward, uh, we like the four-week model. I think we're still kind of experimenting with um, ways where we can kind of achieve sort of like maximal transformation and, you know, kind of greatest impact in these different kind of shorter term models. Um, There, I think moving forward, um, we want to continue with the four week program or some variation on it, which has about eight students. So it's open application. The program is free of charge for everybody. Um, Faculty are paid um, and the faculty come from the humanities, social sciences, natural sciences, tribal educators and leaders and and community business members and partners. Um, And then we're also in the early stages of launching um, a kind of partnership program uh, or partnership programs with institutions, existing institutions, public and private universities and colleges that um, want to incorporate the three-pillared approach and place-based learning into their educational um, communities. Um, so wow. that's the kind of next step sort of phase of launching thing, piloting things. 
but yeah who are some of your partners who what kind of organizations or people are you working with you know I, I think what kinds what kinds of organizations yeah um there are some that are sort of you know liberal arts traditional liberal arts schools um also public universities um and uh you know, we, we also are, are, are talking with, you know, this is, this is not the universities that we partner with, but, um, other educational NGOs in the area that, you know, are involved in, in place-based learning, but the real kind of the partnerships and where we see we're able, where we, where we see and want to have an impact, um, on, you know, the landscape of higher education is, is through programs that engage students and faculty with, an experience on the islands, and then also equip them to kind of seed this approach on the campus where they're coming from. Because, mm -hmm. you know, just to add on to that, Jacob, I think at the end of the day, you know, Justin and I are very, very committed to liberal arts and university-based reform. I think that we feel like universities um, have tremendous resources, um, much of which goes kind of wasted, we think. Yeah. Um, there's tremendous potential for universities to be, you know, leaders in, in terms of solving really significant social problems. Um, and that, you know, for a number of reasons, structural, economic, whatever, they're kind of constrained, bureaucratic, um, constrained, um, and can't do the things that they kind of often want to make good on. Um, and I think liberal arts learning within universities really suffers. So for many students, the classroom can't be a place to ask meaningful questions about how one should live one's life. Or the, the liberal arts classroom can't be a place for students to really engage on a, on a deep personal level with the questions about habitability um, and, and how do we inhabit places well, because they're so concerned about paying off debt or they're so concerned about any number of other um, things that are largely out of their control. So I think that, you know, as we see it, um, you know, the three pillars are a very powerful tool to affect uh, change in the landscape of higher education. Our personal mission as an institution is oriented around the climate crisis um, and, you know, the climate crisis as we see is a kind of everything problem. But I think that, you know, there's any number of directions that the three pillars as a tool can be taken in, as you know, you very well know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so maybe we can't, shouldn't take for, advantage, uh, take for granted that that everyone understands the three pillars here. We've talked about, uh, we've talked with a couple of people connected with Deep Springs. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm an alum and you guys have taught there. Um, but maybe how, how would you explain the three pillars to a person who has never heard of that before? Uh, we do that a lot. So, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and I'm sure that this is you know an explanation that you know um, some folks who are familiar with the model will recognize, and others uh, and others may not. And that and that you know we hope would be will, will be fruitful. Um, but when we uh, we usually begin with a question or a goal that we have, which you know is to cultivate among our students and faculty an understanding of humans place within the earth's life-sustaining systems and a capacity to act on that knowledge. So if we think about that as the, the kind of the goal, the educational outcome that we're, we're seeking, we think of the three pillars as, as sort of 
an architecture of what you would need to develop that knowledge. And so here, just to get the specifics, the three pillars would first would be academics. So a, a more or less traditional classroom seminar based, um, often rooted in textual, uh, close textual reading, investigation, um, but also accommodating methods in the natural sciences and social sciences, empirical research. Um, the second pillar in no particular order, I should say, but uh, is, is labor, physical labor. So from um, performing the work of uh, meal preparation um, and uh, sort of from, from, from cleaning to emptying the trash to, to doing all the things that you need to, to make a place, uh, you know, livable to um, engaging in more productive labor. So um, agricultural labor, uh, land management. Um, in our case, this focuses on, around uh, aquaculture with oysters, um, but it also focuses around helping to manage and maintain the bird sanctuary um, on Penikis, uh, cemeteries, other public spaces on Cuddyhunk. Um, and the third pillar is uh, self-governance. So there is a space in which students and the community um, are able to sort of create the conditions of their collective life. Um, they engage in setting the ground rules for the community. Uh, oftentimes, these very early on focus, come to focus around issues of, 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 of media and devices and how often you would want to, yeah. but they expand beyond. Uh, to 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 think about sort of more important questions of how we should engage with communities that we share this place with. Um, you know, there's a real diplomatic element of that. And there's also for us, especially as a program based on shorter term programs, a real emphasis on putting students in a position to help shape the future of the institution. Um, so both by serving on admissions committees that admit new students, but also through outreach, through helping to connect us with folks interested in helping to spread the idea, um, contributing through our advisory council and our board. Um, and, you know, just to go back to the original question you put there, um, these are the three pillars and, you know, you can think about them, the, the work they do in many different ways. And for us, you know, they, they allow us to address this question of how do you inhabit a place well from all of these different perspectives. Um, you, yeah, yeah, I should also just add too, I think one thing that maybe this, you know, we should say clearly is, you know, we also have a core, we're committed to core, uh, a core seminar. So I think that there's, um, you know, a way also in which um, the, and, and when we describe the, the pillars to folks that might not have encountered them, uh, the governance pillar and the academic pillar also like really reinforce each other, um, very strongly in the sense that, you know, when you understand yourself to be a member of a polity, uh, or a member of a community, the stakes are really high. And so then when you walk into the seminar room, the stakes are really high in the seminar room. These are people that you're living with, you're self-governing with, mm -hmm. right? communicating with and you're thinking with so you can't just say something in seminar and then just kind of like walk away from it right um and so i no, think it's that not that, twitter or something like that right exactly exactly <laughs> and i i'm sure i i'm curious you know what folks at you know at 
with people at Tidelines or Outer Coast or, you know, what your students would say too, because I, I would imagine it's kind of similar in all cases that the 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 dual, I mean, I think you could say all three all together, um, but especially governance and and the seminar space, like it just raises the stakes of everything that happened. Yeah, I, I think to, to add to that, I mean, one of the things that we get from um, Henry David Thoreau and the kind of the, the transcendentalists we're referencing is, um, I mean, Thoreau, in his in Walden in his life is is making a lot of use of practical experiences you could say labor experiences for cultural purposes right yeah. using you're know, thinking about you know you're building a cabin you're growing a garden it's not just doing those things you're actually you're you're enriching your your kind of uh horde of uh, of metaphors and of of, of references and uh you know he, 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 it's a typical move of, of of Thoreau to to say I was doing this thing. I was playing the, you know, planting the beans or whatever, and that will go into a, a, you know, a literary, spiritual, kind of philosophical mm -hmm. kind of reflection of some kind. Yeah, I do think yeah. there are ways that the the labor feeds the academics, and of course, yeah. and 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 it goes in both directions across three three pillars. I mean, I think that uh, both labor is a place where it's learning, you know, learning happens, but also like a kind of metabolism of what you have in the classroom takes place. Mm -hmm. I, for us, the other dimension that's really come up is the way in which self-governance involves more than, um, you know, the human community. Mm -hmm. Like we, to give you an example, we, we share the island with um, many hundreds of nesting seagulls. <laughs> when we are uh, um, during a portion of, of the year, this is the island of Penakees and a lot of self-governance some of self-governance questions did really revolve around how do we share this place with all of these seagulls? Like what, what is, what is an appropriate relationship to this place? Um, both as one in, you know, inhabited by non-human beings, like pretty densely, <laughs> um, but, but also its status as like a designated nesting area and protected nesting area of these. And so, and so like, I think that, when when you combine the three pillars with the climate focus, it it does become this laboratory for a question that's going to be confronting everyone, which is you know, when we make decisions, we're making decisions for more than society. We're making decisions for the earth now. And how do you mm -hmm. um, kind of pilot the forms of self governance that can for in which that can be real? Um, and so. Uh, yeah, that's also that's also a dimension of of I guess the way in which the three pillars connect. That's cool. Yeah, that's that's great to think of. Um, yeah, so a lot of these self governance activities you're talking about, I mean, um, are they they're happening after the students leave Penangese Island? Um, you know, is it is there an ongoing relationship with the the community of people who've been students there? Yeah, so I think one of the things that is really important to us, um, and I think this kind of gets to sort of the ways in which we're still piloting different sort of versions of what our programs kind of look like and with whom, um, you know, when you leave a program, that's where the real work begins. And that's the really like exciting moment. So, you know, I, I kind of, I feel like I scandalized uh, our most recent cohort um, when I made the suggestion in seminar that they should all be really excited 
for the program to end. Like, oh, what do you mean? And I was like, yeah, that's what's because now you're going off into the world and now you're doing the good work that this is is preparing you for. Like, you know, should you should relish that 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 future. Of course, I I I I backed it, you know, um toned it down a little bit and let them kind of mourn the you know wonderful four weeks that they've had together. But um, so I think we, in our, in our programming, uh, make an effort to, uh, support and facilitate whatever, uh, transformations, um, and learning happens during programming, uh, in the rest of the year. So that is through, you know, simple things like mentorship and reading groups, um, with students and faculty. Um, we have a program called Pathways to Service that we are in the process of launching um, where we connect um, Gull Island alumni with different community partners through internships and jobs. Um, the idea being that the, the, the work um, or that, you know, one takes one's education at Gaul and moves forward to make a public impact um, in some capacity. Um, we have a group of um, student, recent graduates, um, some of whom have participated in Gaul programming, some of whom have just been our students or connected with us through different educational institutions that we've taught at over the years, who are really excited about what's happening at Gaul, but maybe they themselves are not able or for various reasons can't participate in specific programs, um, but are kind of self-organizing around different events and different things that they can do that are kind of goal adjacent. So I think speaker series, getting out the word, uh, mentorship, just conversations with students. Um, because I think one of the other things that we've discovered is that, you know, liberal arts learning so if we want to then take kind of what is liberal arts learning, well, it's a kind of education that prepares one to be a member of a polity, uh, apart from any specific vocational um, vocation, let's just say. Um, so liberal arts learning is not something that should end when you're 21 and you graduate from college. That's absurd, right? It's something that should continue throughout your whole life as um educators, we have the immense privilege of continuing our liberal arts education every day in our in our in encounters with our students and other faculty. No but, and tell. That's actually, yeah. <laughs> right, right. That's what we one do. Of the perks of the job, right? <laughs> totally. And it could be one of the burdens too. I don't know. Sometimes it's a bit much, but you know, I think that that's not something that should be the exclusive terrain of of scholars and teachers, right? That that that's for everybody because we're all members of a polity. So one of the cool things that this grad group is sort of doing is they're thinking about creative ways that kind of conversations about particular texts or reflecting on one's liberal arts learning um, can continue, you know, between people who are say like doing consulting for a municipal green transition um, or somebody who works like at an aquaculture farm, right? So I think that um, formalizing some of those programs uh, is definitely part of the the meaningful and real work that we're doing this this year mm -hmm. now that you know we have some some sort of more solid footing in terms of the institute. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wonderful. Great. I, I really um, am appreciating your, your, you know, 
your use of the word liberal arts. Um, it's something that I've, I've observed in in the process of of you know this process of starting at the Royal College and then doing the podcast is that I think this the term liberal arts has gone through kind of a complex like journey and. I, I, my sense is that it's actually turning a little bit and, and more people are comfortable using it in new ways and the ways that you're you're doing it. But for a while, it was like a word that nobody wanted to touch. It was a term that was like the left and the right. And, and it was like it, everyone had a different negative take on it, and which was sad because I think it's a really important concept and an important kind of a part of our cultural heritage that is it'd be sad to lose. I mean, uh, well, oh, please. No, no. Well, I was just going to add, Jacob. I mean, I have to say, I really appreciate um, your description of the podcast itself, because I think that, you know, uh, I mean, and I appreciate what you say there because I love the term liberal arts. I think it's really, <laughs> and I, for all the reasons you identify, I mean, I would also say, you know, there's a lot of hand-wringing about the liberal arts being in crisis. Um, and I think that, you know, our position um, and, and less attention paid to the very interesting and innovative and exciting things that people are doing to address, let's say, problems in higher education or sort of social problems more broadly. I think that our position is one where we feel like the liberal arts are not in crisis. They're actually like very well poised to be a great tool to, to enable lots of people and institutions to do things that they can't otherwise. Um, so, and in fact, as you know, when we put on our historians hats, you say well, like, well, maybe it's been the case that the liberal arts have always been in crisis since their inception. And actually like, finally we're getting to a place where they're like doing cool stuff where it's not just a reserve of like the elite or it's not just a, a space for separating thought from work uh, or cordoning off, you know, a life of the mind from the messy reality of society. But finally, there it's it's we're getting to this place um, where liberal arts learning um, is actually preparing like lots of people to to engage meaningfully as 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 citizens. Yeah, yeah, I think that what people have been one of the the critiques that's correct about liberal arts as they have been manifest is is the one-sidedly academic kind of focus like the, the three pillared kind of the holistic approach that that you know that deep springs has modeled and that, that that we're both bringing um is is an important you know counterbalance to many of the critiques of the kind of narrowness and the, and the kind of the theoreticalness of, of of liberal arts that has been practiced that's yeah because i was about to to follow up jacob and ask what why do you think the term you know, carried this this taint for for so many years that not, now may be kind of washing off. Um, but it's certainly the case that you know the liberal arts, going back to like classical antiquity, antiquities, not not merely in the West, uh, not merely in in Greece and Rome, but but in other civilizations as well. Um, you know, the 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 curricula that was meant to deliver on you know a preparation for life with others has always changed mm -hmm. like you know if you're thinking about it what it meant in say rome if you're thinking about what it meant in 15th century florence if you're thinking about what it meant in in germany in the 19th century uh it's not merely that the topics have changed it's that the the different practices of education have changed and you know it's easy to forget that in the span of a lifetime, but the liberal arts are always up for grabs. 
Yeah. If you think about, you know, what it takes to prepare a person to really be empowered to make, to, to take an active role in their polity or in the world or in practical spheres, you know, it is um, students that, that, and I'd like to ask you in a second about who the students are that are, that are coming to, to Gull Island, what are they looking for? But and the students that I'm seeing um, are, are, you know, people who maybe they've been good in school, they've liked books, you know, that's a certain portion of it, but they feel totally disempowered in practical, mm, <laughs> yeah. right? I don't know how to feed myself. I don't know how to work with tools. You know, I don't know how to survive outside things like that. And that that's every bit as sort of, you know, if you want to, you know, liberal arts, you know, free human beings who are able to, to really enact their lives, like that hands-on, you know, and also the social dimension as well. That's another area of action that people feel disempowered. What can I do in the mass, you know, political society that we live in? Um, and so those, the other two pillars are, are you know, as as important and perhaps in some cases more lacking than the kind of the, the, the kind of the mental and the academic focus that has been, you know, long associated with liberal arts in, at least yeah. in, in, in most recent times. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's interesting. I mean, for us, I would say the students, I mean, I'd be curious if you asked this question to our students, how they would self-identify <laughs> here, but our overwhelming, I'd say all of them are um, really in search of academic rigor. Um, and, you know, you know, in the, in the, with the passion with which they mow and go about their land management, you know, labor pillar duties, um, it's with, the the kind of it's definitely um leading with the academic pillar in mind mm -hmm. um, and i think some of that just reflects us and our sort of position and network effects and the fact that you know we're academics and um that that you know uh i think the core the rigor with which we kind of have created and engage with the the core seminar um is kind of allows for that, but I would also say there's students who want to be a bit kind of capacious when it comes to sort of disciplinary thinking or thinking not even within the bounds of very specific disciplines, mm -hmm. but just are kind of yearning for a kind of capacious, rigorous thought. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Would that does that. Yeah, that's good. I mean, but also, you know, maybe, um, I, I, I don't think this is this this um you know detracts at all from this the, the academic seriousness. In fact, it's a dimension of it. But they they're interested in like ideas having consequences, and so mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. what we talk about in the classroom, for instance, is going to shape the kinds of work that we find meaningful. Mm -hmm. the kinds of work that we're able to think of as meaningful we're not going to be able to do to to follow through on that unless we're working like that it's it's just a it's a it's a it's a broken circuit unless it involves the embodiment um even for folks who are you know super intellectual or academically inclined mm -hmm. um and the other i just this is a bit of a side note maybe but the other thing just to add you know that we found even though as you as you say we do kind of like foreground the the, the climate dimension of this is that our applicants and the participants in the program um, have been more than what one would describe as like climate activists. Mm -hmm. And there's certainly that dimension of interest, which, you know, is great. Um, 
it's great for us. It's great for like climate activists and, and climate activists in training. But I think it's important too, that we appeal to a larger uh, swath mm-hmm. um, who, who are just thinking, who just want to, you know, think hard about some, some, some basic human questions and, yeah. and work. Yeah. I, I definitely see a lot of hunger for those conversations, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, whether a person is oriented towards books or towards collective action or to, yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, that, 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 that is actually probably the core thing that happens here are, are, are conversations that go beyond the, the everyday kind of level. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, Anna. I mean, you've got, you know, with your your connection, your background in, in the fine arts, um, what role do the arts play in the liberal arts or in and in, in if at all there at Gull Island? Uh, what a great question. I think I'm I'm really still kind of working at this out in all kinds of ways that I'm probably not even aware of, but um running the risk of sounding a little I don't want to get too specific, but I think just to say I was raised like many, I think, modern artists in a tradition of kind of post-Cold War American modernism. Uh, And I studied a lot of different forms of modernisms. And I think modernism is, is interesting and wonderful, but presents a very particular lens for engaging with the world. Uh, and that lens is 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 one of of critique and criticism, um, and maybe less heavy on the well like productive solution uh, end of things. And so I think that um, kind of coming from my background, you know, while the art world gave me a lot of really wonderful things, uh, it left me um, yearning for something more. It wasn't able to give me uh, what I needed. I think to live a kind of full life. And what I understand partly now that to be is sort of thinking productively about solutions for the future, or at least something more than just a stance of critique and criticism. Like, what are we going to do? And I think this goes back to kind of Justin's, what Justin mentioned, sort of one of our learning objectives is a, is a capacity, uh, you know, not just to kind of identify problems, uh, and think with, you know, a mindset of critique or criticism, but a capacity to act on that knowledge. Um, so, you know, I think that in some ways my position there is just like entirely shaped by my training as an artist um, and by being steeped so long in a certain kind of tradition of artistic modernism that I feel like gave me one of those things, but maybe not the other. Um so that's just like maybe one answer. Maybe it's a little bit heady, but I think it is yeah. is true. Um, and then you know, I I think another another point to say like there's um, a lot of artistic creation and foment that happens in our programs. I mean, we read uh, we read the Tempest uh, as part of our core, and you know, one of our students who's a theater director you know, the students kind of collectively decided to stage a scene from the Tempest nice. <laughs> using various parts of the island. It was like utterly brilliant. They were fantastic. And um, there's a lot of music that's played. I mean, you know, so. It was filmed. It, it was, was filmed. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, it reminds me at Deep Springs, we staged Julius Caesar all over the ranch. 
right in the in the in the boarding house out in the you know in different kind of buildings and, and it was it was it was yeah a unique kind of context there and it was it was all male when i was a student so they chose you know really like pretty much the most male heavy of the many yeah. males play so. yeah true. i mean also true to shakespearean performance too right. it's, it's great it's amazing yeah yeah awesome thank you that that that's that's really um it's an interesting question to me because we we have um we've taken the three pillars and added arts to them and added nature sort of wilderness expeditions close observation of the natural world to self-governance of community academics and labor and uh you know i think it is um i think universities and liberal arts colleges have always been a place where the arts are being practiced um but i think also not necessarily conceptualized as part of this this piece in a very like full way so it's interesting yeah i think also jacob i would say my position too and some of this comes from my dissertation research on these german dancers who didn't necessarily think that they were dancing. They just thought that they were doing life, right? Mm -hmm. So the cordoning off of artistic practice and artistic inquiry from other spheres of practice and inquiry is something that I think I kind of tend to bristle against in certain ways, or I think that it's very easy to cordon off the arts as a kind of disciplinary specialization, which it obviously is in many cases. Um, but I think thinking about ways to integrate integrate it into kind of other spaces, but then also to acknowledge like as an artist, at least it's my position, like, what am I doing? Well, I'm thinking and I'm moving or I'm moving and I'm thinking like I'm bringing the two together. And like, what do you do when you're like working on the farm? You're moving and you're thinking or you're thinking and you're moving, right? So maybe there's this other way in which it's like, it's, it is about finding spaces within the landscape of the three pillars where that can just kind of fit in rather than understanding it as something separate um i don't know it's 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 a it's a thought it's a question justin yeah. huh. do you have a follow-up there <laughs> no i'm just i i i uh just curious to hear more about how how you think of what a what a pillar is and um i mean the the place of the arts that kind of bleed on the one hand into academics on the other hand into um uh you know labor in different ways but are also distinct too but the, that can be a conversation yeah <laughs> yeah a lot of ways i mean yeah there there's a weaving together i mean uh, you know with the deep springs three pillars the three pillars you're working with there's already a weaving together right you, you, yeah when you're really in the zone you're in the in in the life of the community and the program is really thriving those they, they kind of blend yeah. together in a way and sometimes you're talking about a book and sometimes you're milking a cow or you know sometimes you're making decisions but it really you're, you're referencing the other things and that certainly happens with the arts you know we do um we do a lot of singing here we do a lot of also folk arts things like spoon carving and um things like basket weaving things like that so where you're working with natural materials you're working with cultural traditions you know you're, you're working with you know your hands and with, with 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 knives and kind of tools and things like that and so um similarly with food that we do a lot of a lot of cooking here things we've produced and of course there's an art form there there's a social like context that's being developed and there's also science and there's also um you know there, there's just just you know, perseverance and skills and problem solving moving and thinking you know as you're talking about so yeah i think that, that um 
Thank you for, for some reflections on the arts. Well, I think we're coming up towards the end of our, our hour here. And I guess I wanted to give a space, and you've kind of pointed to this already, but you know, you're you've piloted a couple of programs here. You're building a network of of you know of alumni, people who have been connected or even didn't come, it sounds like, but we're, you know, we're interested in in being part of the community in some way. Um where what's next? Where do you see see this project going in the in the in the next few years? Yeah. It's a great, no, thanks for asking that question. Um, you know, we'd love to talk with you in four months and give you more specific yeah. <laughs> of where we're at. I think that, you know, uh, we're very committed to, um, you know, running the, the four week free program to us. That's the sort of beating heart of what we're doing for students and faculty in the community. Um, and so everything that we're kind of going to be testing out and, you know, over the next, let's say six to 10 months, um, is sort of, um, facilitating that kind of, um, expanding its reach. So, you know, uh, we, we will be, uh, following up and, and yeah. are happy to kind of tap more, um, once things are a little bit more set, um, but it's also the case, and you know, too, I mean, there's a lot of fundraising that we're going to be doing. Um, but I think our vision, you know, our, our long-term vision is, you know, we have this, this open application for four week program. We have institutional partnerships that increase access and impact, um, and, you know, um, deepening, um, the role that Gull Island faculty play as kind of public intellectuals. So, you know, we feel and we believe that Gull Island is a space where outstanding scholars and leaders from, you know, different knowledge communities, let's just say, can come together to produce, um, you know, important knowledge that helps us kind of address the climate crisis and all of its dimensions. Um, so I think that's another like very um, important uh, goal for, for us over the next, you know, several years. I think that, you know, we, we are, we've talked about this uh, at a few points in the conversation. Um, we are, we are focused in many ways, thinking about long-term goals on the impact that we can have on the landscape of, of, of higher education, including how existing liberal arts and higher education institutions do their work. Um, so, Colleges and universities are are really good places to 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 learn how to to read and write well, to explore an intellectual interest, to form really important relationships and friendships. But they're not great places to to think about what it means to live well in a in an era of climate change. We think they can be. Mm -hmm. We think they can be better, and we want to develop programs and relationships with faculty, schools, students as well, that, that will equip these institutions to, to do what they do better. Um, so that can take a number of different forms, but that when we think of like, you know, real long-term in the future, that's, that's, that's our, that's, that's what we want to achieve. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's an exciting and, you know, very really a distinctive kind of, a, kind of a theory of change, right? Like by by modeling these programs and having a lot of people experiencing them, you can have an impact on both students and faculty and just by telling the story on yeah. on other institutions, right? Because you know, in in some of these other conversations I've I've had with with you know through the podcast and, and outside of it, you know, their Deep Springs has a 
kind of a kind of a great man theory of change, right? That you take a you know a, a, kind of the the a, a, a you know you give an intensive education to a very small number of people who are going to go and have an outsized impact. Um, and I think the debate has come up among other conversations: Are we trying to replace higher education with a network of of small, you know, micro college scale kind of organizations, or are we trying to create a supplement? A you know a, a kind of a what really functions right now for people who are in conventional education a parallel or like an enrichment in some way to those experiences. Um, but you know hopefully, and I do think you know I, I really would share this this vision that what we're doing is 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 changing education in general and changing existing institutions because that's where most uh, most people are, and that's those are those are powerful you know uh, forces in our world. So that's right, Jacob. Yeah. I mean, and our mission is about democratic citizenship. So for us, this is about democracy. This is about like all of us. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that that is, you know, maybe running the risk of saying something that's scandalous here, but like there is something anti-democratic about the Deep Springs mission. And I think, you know, I bristle at that. And I think many other people do as well, even though I, I think very highly of the institution and I, you know, it was very transformative for me as, as, you know, a member of it for a brief period of time. Um, but again, you know, for, for us, this is this is about uh, democracy. So. Yeah, great. Well, you're doing important work and really glad to know a lot more about it now. And uh, yeah, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thank you thank so you, much. Jacob. Yeah, I, I think guess. this was fun. All right.